I come from Africa and um, I know there's a lot of poverty and I know that the impact of climate change is going to affect third world countries the most. So I'm really passionate about this particular project now that would help to empower farmers, not only with getting more revenue from their farm produce, but also actually doing something about the effects of climate change. Hi, I'm Stephanie Tomampos and you're listening to Down to Earth, the show where we talk to incredible geoscientists about their science, their careers and their passions. Today, we're going to find out what leads a geoscientist from research to business ownership. Support for Down to Earth comes from the Inspire, Develop, Empower, Advance, or IDEA Committee of the Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineers Geoscience and Remote Sensing Society. The IDEA Committee is devoted to empowering engineers and scientists from diverse backgrounds to follow a career in geoscience and remote sensing. One way they do this is by pairing established and emerging geoscientists through their Women Mentoring Women program. In this year-long mentorship, careers blossom and friendships are born across generations, disciplines, and geographies. To learn more and become a member, visit grss-ieee.org slash community slash idea. In September last year, just when I was rounding up my, my final thesis to submit, I participated in a hackathon, which was about... Um, finding solutions to climate impact of climate change. This is Dr. Enkeruka Netin Anya. She's an Earth Observation Specialist at the University of Leicester, whose research centers on detecting, measuring, and monitoring anthropogenic and natural disturbances in tropical environments. It was organized by the European Space Agency, and the idea was to use this huge data set and create a tool that can solve problems. So my team and I came up with an idea to use um, Copernicus data to find um, solution to problems farmers face in Kenya, in Africa. And that was the winning idea. As I discovered during our conversation together, Nkeruka, or NK as she is called by her friends, is a powerhouse woman with many passions and talents. She likes to describe herself as a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-all. Because similar to her hackathon experience, whenever she tackles a new challenge, she succeeds. Her successes have followed her, from her recent career transition into remote sensing to the completion of her PhD, and finally, to a new trajectory as an entrepreneur. Congratulations on winning the hackathon. That's amazing. (laughs) Thank you. What have you done since? My team and I have been on top of it, trying to refine the idea trying to actually test the idea. We are at the stage now where we are talking with potential customers and uh, we've registered the company as well. So we are now entrepreneurs as well, or startup, like they would call us. And we're developing, we have our MVP proof of concept that show that there's a model that works and we're now refining that model. Firstly, wow, you're so cool. I'm so happy to have this moment with you. You won a hackathon event and you registered a company. How cool is that? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it is interesting. So regarding the company and the research that you're looking at, can you explain the tool you're developing and who will benefit from it? Okay, so the tool is what we call the Soil Water Index Forecast Tool. And the idea is to help farmers in Africa to create a tool from satellite data 
that will help farmers optimize their harvest and reduce farm gate losses. Our uh, project area initially was in Kenya, and this area, the farmers there suffered from a lot of water logging, which leads to their farm produce either rotting on the farm because they can't access their farm, or by the time they get it to the market, it's lost a lot of value. So the, the idea is to be able to predict uh, for these farmers what the water logging situation will be like on any at least seven days so that they will know the best, the optimum time to get into their farm and take their produce. And it's going to be presented as an app and there's farmers subscribe to this app and then they get their, the, depending on the produce, the crop they've planted, the planting dates, the, the, the planting cycle for the particular crops, they will have the results that they need that is specifically for them. And these results will not determine when they go in to harvest their produce. This way, there is better control on how much of this of a particular produce, you know, is brought to the market. Because sometimes during the harvest season, you have surplus produce in the market, and then people are forced to sell at giveaway prices, and they lose their income because of that. So the the tool is meant to kind of address all these other problems, in addition to making sure that the farm produce gets to the market in the very good state so that the farmer can obtain the best price for his crops. Yeah, I think this is very important because you're conserving a lot of energy for farmers and also conserving a lot of food. Yes. How far are you right now in this product and when is your target release? Um, we are, like I said earlier, in talks with potential buyers and we've had to adjust our offer our service um, in line with the needs of our potential customers. And the way we've adjusted it now is more in water management, water allocation tool to help um, an agency, a government agency to make decisions about how much, how better to manage their water resources. This would now depend on how much the farmer is expected to extract from the water body. And then we can compute this from you know, the amount of um, soil moisture that is predicted with our tool. So uh, we have our proof of concept already. We've developed a model using um, farm fields here in, in the United Kingdom. We've went to farmers uh, sites, collected soil samples and measured the soil moisture there, which we now use to validate the results of our model. Very cool. And in some ways, this research ties in with your PhD work in the sense that you're used to developing new approaches to climate change issues. I was amazed at how you did your PhD thesis about normalized difference vegetation vigor index. So can you share what the NDVBI is and what your research was all about? Yes. So um, <laughs> my research tried to address a problem that has been there for decades, but uh, has been limited in the way it's been tackled. Um, it's all about uh, monitoring oil pollution in the Niger Delta region of Nigeria and how the oil pollution has impacted on biodiversity. The Niger Delta region of Nigeria is a biodiversity hotspot in that it has a lot of, it has more than 9,000 different species of vascular plants and 2,000 of those are endemic to that region. And all these are subjected exposed to the impact of oil pollution activities. The problem was that the method of detecting this oil pollution involves going into the field 
And sometimes there's been political issues arising from the damage to the environment and how this has impacted the inhabitants of the area. So there is lots of sometimes lots of mistrust between the stakeholders and the indigenous people. So this has led to security issues like uprisings and restiveness and even militancy at some point. So in trying to find a solution to this problem, um, I integrated remote sensing data and was able to use uh, remote sensing data from various platforms to detect the total petroleum hydrocarbon concentration in the soil through the vascular plants the soil supports. And why did you create the new index for this research? The reason I had to create a new index for this was because the um, the common indices available, like the uh, normalized difference uh, vegetation index, was limited in its sensitivity to the concentration of total petroleum hydrocarbon in the soil. So I used um, hyperspectral data set, um, selected wavelengths that were very sensitive, not just to the chlorophyll and the other pigments in plants, but also to the impact of or effect of TPH in the soil on the concentration of these pigments in the leaves. So with that tool, we can easily detect where oil spill has occurred. And also, if the tool is applied over a period of time, we can detect how much uh, this oil spill has affected the vegetation in that area. What do you think are the impacts of your research? Where is it going forward? So what my research has done is develop a tool for stakeholders like, you know, multinationals, oil companies to use in their post-oil spill impact analysis. Everything that was used in developing that tool was open source. So these things are there and available. It's also, it's, another thing to actually apply them. So, yeah. And have you approached any oil companies yet to tell them about your research? Um, I wouldn't say that I've approached any oil companies, probably because I've not gone back to Nigeria to, you know, carry on my research from that area. Um, But it's what I intend to do. I only just concluded my research. Uh, Actually, I got my degree this year. So it's something I'm looking forward to, you know, maybe do something more. But I've not actually spoken to any because it's not it's not a straightforward journey. I can tell you just to even assess the sites to collect my field data, which I used to validate the satellite data was you don't want to hear about it. <laughs> so <laughs> congratulations with achieving your PhD. Thank you. I mean, that's a tough journey. Yeah. I know how hard it is to be in the sciences and how challenging it can be going back to school after you've already completed a degree. So congratulations. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Thank you. How did you celebrate? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Somebody's told me that I was too old to celebrate a PhD. So <laughs> Nobody's too old for anything. So <laughs> it should be a celebration. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think I... I can't even remember what I did, I must tell you. I I was just so relieved it was over, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Dr. Edke Ruka Anya has had an incredible number of successes. 
aside from inventing a new vegetation index for her PhD research. She has published several articles, won a hackathon, and started a business where she is already in talks with potential buyers. All of this done in just a year. So would you believe me if I told you that not more than six years ago, NK Ruka hadn't even heard of remote sensing as a field of study? Yeah, I know. How could she be so accomplished in such a short amount of time? Well, we're about to find out right after the break. Worldwide, women remain underrepresented in the STEM workforce. That's why the IDEA Committee of the IEEE Geoscience and Remote Sensing Society has developed a highly organized and incredibly rewarding mentorship program for women. Through this year-long program, mentors support mentees in setting goals, problem-solving challenges, and celebrating successes. I think it's very rewarding to know that you have positive impact on a young woman's career in science. More importantly, you're developing also friendship between the two of you. So it's highly rewarding, really. Consider offering your expertise as a mentor or bringing your enthusiasm and questions as a mentee. Visit grss-ieee.org slash community slash idea to sign up. Welcome back. Today, we've been speaking with Dr. N.K. Ruka Anya, an Earth Observation Specialist based in the United Kingdom. As I mentioned earlier, N.K. Ruka only started her work in remote sensing in 2014. Prior to this career change, she studied animal science for her undergraduate degree in Nigeria. From there, she pursued a master's in environmental management. But a twist of fate alongside her courage to jump in with two feet has since brought her to a fruitful career in remote sensing. So you took a slightly different path to a career in geosciences. How did you come to this field? Um, I came into this field in a way that I like to say accidentally, but in a very positive way. I moved to the United Kingdom and then um, having come here, I, you know, settled down to make a living for my kids, to take care of my kids and myself. So I had no business in the academics. But after a while, I thought... No, I need to go back to academics because that's my first love. So I tried to get um, an academic research position in the local university here um, in Leicester. They were offering research in my field, um, ecology, um, if I incorporated remote sensing uh, into it. And I was like, what's remote sensing? I only know remote sensing as remote sense, you know, when you're sensing something from a remote position, you know. And the most I know about remote is the remote control we use for the television. So I'm like, what in the world is that? <laughs> but, um, you know, due to my circumstances, my family being here in Leicester and me not really wanting to start commuting from one city to another, I decided to delve into it. So, yeah. How did it feel to jump into a field you weren't familiar with? It was scary, I must say, um, at the beginning. It was. And even till now, when I come across certain concepts or certain um, data set or certain problems that needs my expertise to solve, I still have those self-doubts. So at that point, it was really, really scary. But what kept me going was that. It was an interesting field. And I must tell you, I was really, really lucky with the kind of people I met on this um, journey because of the support I received. I, you know, managed to push through and um, succeeded. And uh, here I am today. 
So you mentioned that you met a lot of people who have supported you. Can you share a particular experience where the support really made a difference for you? Yes. Um, I attended a conference, um, I guess it's called, and during the conference, we had this Wingrass session. When it's the Women in Geosciences and Remote Sensing Society session. And there were these beautiful ladies. You could tell that they were really um, hardworking and passionate about the career. And they stood up, they were amongst the panelists, they stood up and they talked about the journey. And these were people who actually started um, in this field. And they were still experiencing the self-doubt, experiencing the challenges, the obstacles. And, and I'm like, oh, so there's no point where you feel that, yes, I've done it all now. That wherever you are, you will still have the same challenges I'm having now. So why not? Yeah. So why do you think that this one conference session had such a huge impact on you? Yeah, at that point, I was even like having strong doubts about the PhD itself, you know, at that point, that was just when I was starting and realized that this remote sensing thing is not as easy as I thought it was going to be, you know, I mean, like, what, what have I gotten myself into? So I was having strong doubts about even the research itself, carrying on with the PhD, but it was a panel, you know, of speakers and the lady who was talking did not know that she was going to impact my life the way she did the kind of challenges that she's been encountering even up to, you know, that day that she was speaking, you know, uh, pushback from their male counterparts, you know, the issue of motherhood, the distractions, everything. I'm like, this is me. And, but then this is a woman who has been in this field for like years. How is she still going through the same things I could say I am, I was going through at that time, you know, kind of, motivated me i'm like why why should i run away you know when people are fighting to make things easier for me do you know what i mean why should i give up why should i abandon this journey because we know there are people there fighting for it to be easier when i get there so i must say that listening to that lady talk was what what is why i'm here today just hearing her share her life story is the reason I'm here today. And I don't know if I would have gained the kind of satisfaction I'm gaining now if I was doing something else. Wow. This woman definitely had a huge impact on your life. And you've since been kind of like her because you've been focusing your energies on advocating for women in STEM, particularly African women in STEM. Can you share with us how you're supporting this emerging community of scientists? So I, I, I need to tell you about this story. I went to, to I, I, yeah, that's just to give you the background of how I got into this um, advocacy for African women scientists. So I went to a conference in Valencia and there were about a thousand participants. And I can tell you this without mincing words. I definitely looked around and I can safely say that I was the only black woman in that conference. And how did it make you feel? <laughs> no, definitely I felt there was a problem. So again, Wingrass came to the rescue. So I met and spoke to them. I said, wow, I'm really concerned that this is happening because I know for sure that there are African uh, remote sensing and geoscientists that are women. 
So then I said, oh, do you want to do something about it? I said, oh, yeah, I do want to do something about it. Yeah. So we started that way and I was um, asked to do something about it, went, got contacts of all the other female practitioners and started speaking to them and they were all excited. Um, they told, said what their problems were really the main challenge to them being out there showcasing their work and all that. So, and I shared this with the idea group and, you know, they've been, we've been working on it slowly, I, I should say, but yeah, we're getting there. What were some of the challenges African women were experiencing? Why do you think no one was there in that conference? Mainly is the that of awareness, the major challenge, because I actually did a survey. I created a questionnaire, which I shared with them and asked them like, you know, to complete so that I can have an idea of what the problem was. I spoke to about 60 women. From the response I got, it was mainly about lack of awareness. You know, they're not aware of the conferences. They're not aware of the resources that are available for people to attend conferences and things like that. And then also the one that is always the perennial problem of funding, you know, funding for research and um, also the the technology itself. If you're in this field, you need to be on top of it. If not, you will lose track. You know, you just be recycling old knowledge. And before you know it, if you <laughs> if you don't have anything, sometimes you submit papers to conferences and you're told, oh, sorry, there's so much has been done in this field already, in this particular aspect. So, you know, so if um, it's also, you know, keeping on top of the knowledge itself, the, the, the field itself, it's another problem that they're having. Right. So the, the idea was to start with, um, first of all, creating a chapter there and then organizing workshops, organizing seminars and other, you know, creating opportunities for people not only to come in and network and connect with their colleagues and collaborate with other professionals in different parts of the world but also to kind of update their skills. Have you seen changes? Are there more African women engaging now? The problem with Africa is because for now, we only have two chapters in the whole of Africa with about 50-something countries. So we're working hard with um, other um, geoscientists and remote sensor practitioners to start up the Nigerian I am GRSS chapter, but our women have been participating more because we have a forum where we meet and we talk. So they've been like engaging more with the other regional bodies that represent remote sensing practitioners within the African region. So I think that's a good start. Yes, definitely. And for those who are participating in the African chapters or other geoscientists in general, what advice do you have for them? Yeah, I would say to keep an open mind because um, there's so much that can happen. Don't limit yourself and don't draw a line and stick within the boundaries that you've drawn. Keep your mind open because anything can happen at any time and don't be discouraged. Like I was telling a, a group of young girls I was mentoring, I said to them, you need to speak up because especially in this field, nobody's going to willingly create a space for you because you're a woman. I'm talking about to girls in Africa now in Nigeria. So we're not, it's not about color now. It's about, you know, gender bias. I said, you're a woman. Nobody is going to willingly give you that space. 
So you need to speak up. You need to challenge the status quo. You need to use your voice to create your own space and take up that space confidently. You don't have to know everything. And even when you do, you're never sure that you know everything. Okay? So you don't have to know everything. But be confident in the one you know. And of course, don't give up on learning. It's not easy, especially when you have other things that are clamoring for your time. But you just have to make out time to do the things that you need to do to keep yourself up to date in your chosen career. Well, that's all for this episode of Down to Earth. For more information about Dr. Nkeruka Netsi Anya and her research, connect with her on LinkedIn or on Twitter at NNKRU. Also, follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Finally, send a little love to our sponsors by liking their socials at IEEE WinGRSS on Facebook and Twitter and IEEE Women in GRSS on LinkedIn. This episode was produced by Nicole Bedford from Nicole Bedford Films with help from me, Stephanie Tumampos. Graphics and design by Mylene Briggs of Killam Media. And a special thanks to Heather McNairn, Sean Kefauver, and Keely Roth for their support. I'm Stephanie Tumampos, and you've been listening to Down to Earth.